Uh, if you are guests here, uh, you need to know over the last several weeks we've been going through a series uh, on First Peter. Uh, I've been calling the message series Living Hope. Uh, uh, This is one of the prevalent themes through this marvelous letter that is uh, written 2,000, almost 2,000 years ago, but so pertinent today, as all of God's Word always is, timeless, never changing, but constantly causing change. Uh, He opens the letter with these powerful words, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, this hope that we have is called a living hope because it's centered on a resurrected Christ, a living Christ, that Jesus Christ is alive today. He's a resurrected Savior, and He is here with us right now. He says where two or three come together in his name, he's there. And I think it's just an indication that there's a a special manifest presence of the Lord when we come together in his name. But when you're alone, he's also with you at all times. He has given to you and me who say yes to him the gift of the Holy Spirit where God himself takes residence in us, is there to lead us and to guide us. And uh, I think, Mike, you said this, you know, the, the life, life can be very, very challenging. Anybody going through some challenges right now? Sure. Yeah. There's difficulty in life. Amen? There's hardship in life. We are going through some difficult times our, ourselves, right? Maria and myself. Very difficult things. But, you know, I, I've been in Christ long enough to know there are seasons. You go through these things. And God remains faithful. And so even though our season right now, the things that we're struggling through are are challenging, we have not lost hope because we have hope in a, a risen Savior, a living hope. And as we have been going through this letter to, to first, the first letter to P, uh, Peter writes here, there's a second one, but this first letter that he writes to these scattered believers, primarily Gentile believers, they're in a place of real suffering, suffering that goes beyond what you and I will generally endure in this life. But he speaks this living hope to them, this living hope. And, and so... As we grow in this hope and it becomes more and more clear to us who we are, his beloved, his treasured possession, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, designed to declare his praises, aliens and strangers, this is not our home, (laughs) that we understand there's something that lies ahead that's much bigger. Once I start to embrace all of that and understanding and that hope becomes just a part of who I am, I can't keep it to myself. We're called to share this hope. And that's what we're going to be talking about today as we look at 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 22. We're going to be focused on verses 15 through 18, but uh, I've asked uh, Brandon, where, where are you, if you could read the scripture for us. And if you're able, if you could stand for the reading of God's word. Good morning. 
starting with the 15th verse. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is in God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Amen. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Brandon. And Lord, I, I do thank you. Again, that your word is so transformative that, uh, Lord, you give us uh, everything that we need for life and for godliness. Uh, This word, spirit-empowered word, just brings about hope in our life. And, Lord, we can't even begin to understand how you do that through the Holy Spirit, but you do that, Lord. You give us hope. And I pray today as... Lord, we look at these passages, this passage from, from this wonderful letter that Peter wrote so long ago. Lord, that that hope would fill us to overflowing, that we cannot keep it to ourselves, that we would be ready and prepared to share hope with others. We pray this, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So, so... <clears throat> Let me just pick up where we left out, off last week. We were uh, talking about this household code uh, that he has spoken to. Um, just, uh, I guess, today's equivalent would be the, the workplace, that, that in that space I am uh, never re- retaliating to my employer because they have mistreated, but I just understand I am working as unto the Lord in the context of a marriage that you, you live in a way, wives especially, live in a way that you don't even have to speak speak, your, 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 your life reflects this great gospel, that people may be won over, that your husbands may be won over even just by your life, and husbands, to, to love your wives in such a way that you understand my mistreating my wife, my, my demeaning my wife will rob my prayers from God. God, he won't, God won't listen to me, so it's, it's about the relationship I have with him. And he picks up in verse 8 and says, Finally, all of you be like-minded. Live in, in other words, he's saying live in harmony with one another. Find ways to ensure that you are always in a reconciled re- relationship with one another. That there's no division among you. That there's no backbiting. There's no slander. You don't talk about people behind their back. Be sympathetic. You know, we've talked about this so many times. And Paul expresses it this way in Romans 12. He says, Rejoice. With those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. You know, that word, the, I'm throwing a big word, etymology, the etymology, the, the roots of that word, sympathy, have to do with I'm entering into where you are emotionally and I'm there. And he says that we should love one another. This is not new to the letter. Remember, in, in the first chapter, he said, don't just love one another, love one another deeply. I, I, I want to be other-centered. You know, the, the, the joy that the Lord has given to us, that is ours as believers. You know, someone very wisely said that, J-O-Y is Jesus first, others, then you. Joy, an other-centered mentality, and compassion. Where I, I'm, I'm, again, entering into your pain when you're in pain. I, 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 the love that I express is genuine from the heart. And 
wraps it all together with humility, which, you know, I, I don't know how you do all this without having a heart that's humble. Again, Paul, in that same chapter where he spoke of being, of rejoicing with one another and mourning with one another, later on he, he says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Humility is not saying that I'm not gifted. It's not saying that, that I'm not God's precious and beloved child. Of course we are. But it's not a comparison with other people. It's, I'm not thinking of myself more highly than I ought. It's not a, a demeaning of other people. And, and it's, not, it's not a demeaning of myself. Oh, I could never do this. I can't live up to this. I can. God looks at you and says, no, you're my beloved. It's a proper place to have that right sense of identity. I am precious in God's sight. Yes, I am, as he just said earlier, his treasured possession. Elsewhere, he says, we're his workmanship, his poetry, his masterpiece. That's who you are. But don't let that get to your head where you think that you're better than anybody else. God doesn't have favorites. But he does, as I said last week, have intimates. Those who will choose to say, I want more of you, Lord. It begins with some humility. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. In other words, you don't seek revenge. Everything he's saying right now is just basic Christian living. On the contrary, repair evil with blessing. Somebody speaks badly of you, you bless them from your heart. You speak richly over them. You've been hurt, and I know the human condition, because I'm human and fallen human, that when somebody speaks badly to you, the the defenses rise up, right? They've hurt you. Well, I'm going to... I'm going to hurt you back, right? Somehow in our twisted, sinful minds, we think that if I can just hurt you back, somehow that's going to help me. But it doesn't. It just makes us all lower. And so the strange but godly way of living is when somebody insults you and hurts you, you bless them, pray blessing over them. I got somebody right now uh, in another part of the country who is hurt me and and I want to my flesh wants to retaliate but instead Maria and I have to get on our knees and we pray for this person pray blessing over them and pray that they would come and know the Lord and we're about to get into this but get to the place where the hope that we have we can share with them we can share with them But he gives then a a scriptural basis for all of this. Psalm 34, you can look it up. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil. In other words, you you never speak badly about another person. You you know, I've said this so many times. I, I can't with one mouth say, praise you, Lord. And then say, you know, that person, they're so wicked. They're so evil. They're so this. They're so that's, that's James says that's like, 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 like pure water and salt water coming out of the same stream. It can't happen. Keep your lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace. Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to this prayer. You know, this goes back to just the, end, the, the verse 7 where we're talking about husbands and being considerate to your wives and how you treat them. Because otherwise, God's not going to listen to your prayers. But he's saying here, the ears of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord, the ears of the Lord are on those who seek righteousness. Anybody here want God to hear their prayers? And Anybody here want God to say, 
yeah, I, I'm going to do what you ask. Anybody? Oh, I hope all of us. But, but what he's saying here is that the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And, and, and so, you know, th- there is this proper desire for goodness to come to myself. This is not what we call selfishness. I think God has spoken to this so many places in the scripture. We should desire God's blessing in our lives. That's a good thing. We should desire his blessings. And he says, this is the formula for it. This is, this is what we do. These are all these things. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. This is the theme that went back to when he was speaking to those who were being unjustly treated in a system of slavery. It goes to even wives who are being mistreated by their husbands. And, and remember the, the, the identification that he gave there was Christ Jesus himself who suffered unjustly. So he knows what it's like to be in that space. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. And then we get to verse 15 where he now outlines uh, this hope that he says is a living hope that is ours. That the calling of the believer is to share, not to keep it to ourselves. So it starts with this. First part of verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Revere Christ as Lord. What what does that mean? Well, how do I share hope? This is the beginning place. With Jesus, I make him my everything. I, I, I find my sufficiency in Jesus. That he's enough. He's more than enough. When the world is telling me that I need to accumulate things, that I need to have positions of power that I need to be doing this or that. He says, no, no, no. Just make Jesus your everything. What does it mean to make him Lord? It means that he owns you. You know, there's, there's been, I don't know if you've heard this debate before among Christians. You know, they talk about what is lordship salvation versus, you know, just, just believe. And, you know, well, the Bible says just believe, so I don't have to do anything more. It's, well, what does it mean to believe? What you're believing is that he is Lord. You know, the very starting point of the Christian journey, when I begin, in order for me to to step out of the the life of death where I am a slave to my own sin, and I step into what God calls eternal life, where now I'm a slave to God. A slave, that means I belong to him. And I'm a slave now to righteousness. And I, I can live for righteousness. It starts like this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. This is Romans chapter 10. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Saved from what? From the punishment of sin. Wages of sin is death. But it starts, remember, with saying he's Lord. So if you're brand new, if, you're, if, you're, if you've been coming and you're exploring this faith, you know, you're very welcome in this church. We call ourselves Haven because it's a safe place. You can come just as you are. I appreciated when I was searching and trying to find Jesus, those Christians who just loved me right where I was. And you, you need to know this is that kind of place. If you've if you still got questions and all of that, 
that's fine. Keep coming. Keep learning. But we're declaring to you that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. He, 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 he owns everything. We don't have to act like he's Lord. We can pretend that we own ourselves. That's just, we're deceiving ourselves when we do that. The fact is, he is Lord. He died for your sins. And he wants to save you from that punishment, that separation from him. And he says, receive him. Believe that he is Lord. But again, it's not just an intellectual assent, he is Lord. No, you've got to make him your everything. You've got to revere him as Lord. Because, you see, the, 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 the multiple blessings that come with this is not just, as some would put it, fire insurance. Okay? He's not just, I, I, want, to, I want to save you from hell. That, that, that's, that is a reality. Okay? I don't want to take away from that. But God wants to, you to experience the fullness of his blessings. That's really what it's all about. He, he wants you to share eternity with him. He wants you to experience life on this side of eternity. Filled with his spirit. Walking in newness of life. That even whatever circumstances you're going through. And as I look out, I know many of you are going through some very hard circumstances. I know much of your stories. But even in the middle of it to say, and Jesus is good. And I have a peace in my heart. And I know he's working all things for good. And I have a living hope. You see, when that happens in your life, you have to share it. But it doesn't really happen until you make him your everything. So if, if you're in the place right now where you're saying, I, I really don't have hope. Yeah, I, I do know Jesus is, is Lord, but somehow there's a disconnect between what you're saying up here and what's happening in here. I just ask you, is Jesus your everything? I mean, are you seeking him? Are, 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 are you using this opportunity of Lent to say, God, I, I'm putting aside those stupid, distracting things right now that I might seek you above all else? That I want to experience the fullness of your spirit. I want you to be my everything. Because when that happens, you do have hope. It's a living hope. You can't escape that. And if you're not experiencing that, I just challenge you. Know that the Lord is, he will not turn away a bruised reed. I, I know sometimes we're in a place of brokenness where it's hard to see. We've all been there, right? Maybe you're there right now. And I want to speak hope into your life. But make him your everything. Make him your everything. That's a starting point. But then he says, here's the second thing. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who gives you the reason, who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You know, there's a lot embedded in this little, in this little sentence. You got to be prepared, right? So uh, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ we got to tell it often, and we got to tell it well. There's a wonderful book by a man named Mark McCloskey, you know, a, a modern-day classic right now, and that's the title of his book, Tell It Often and Tell It Well. It was actually Robert Coleman, by the way, who introduced me to Tell It Often, Tell It Well. And, and we've got to get to the place where I, I, I know what to say to somebody, because if you're walking with Jesus, if you're experiencing him, Again, look at the verse. It says, give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope you have. 
So there's going to be something about your life that is hopeful. There's going to be something about the way you carry yourself that in the midst of tough times, people say there's something different about this person. The Holy Spirit is on. They might not use that language, but the Holy Spirit in you just, just shines, and people see that, and they're going to look at you in your difficulty, in your, in your pain, in, in, your, in your circumstances where relationships are broken. They're going to look at you and go, what is it? What is it? They're going to ask you. That's, that's what's embedded in this question. That if you're living in the ways, you know, making Jesus Lord, go back to where we started today. All those things he talked about, you know, loving deeply, being compassionate, all the, that's making Jesus Lord. He says, you do these things, and people are going to go, what is it that's different about you? How can you do this? You've gone through so much loss, so much pain. How can you still be worshiping God? But when that happens, he says, be prepared. <laughs> you should be prepared. One, it shouldn't surprise you when that happens, when somebody comes to you and, and says, talk to me. What's going on? So that shouldn't surprise you because you've got a hope and there's something about you that... But when it happens, don't go, uh, 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 I, I'm not sure. Uh, well, you know, uh, mm, uh. no, you've got to be, be able to tell them. You've got to be able to tell them. Now, you know, every single Sunday, just about every single Sunday, I, I, I try to express this gospel message, this good news. The simple gospel. You're a sinner. That doesn't sound like good news, Pastor Brian. <laughs> the good news starts with that bad news. We're all sinners. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And if we're all sinners and the wage of sin is death, we got a little bit of a problem. But here's where the good news comes in. That Christ died for sins. God demonstrates his own love for you and for me in this. While we were still sinners. Not when we fixed ourselves up, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you doubt that, you look at the cross, but then you look at the resurrection. You know, we're, we're, we're in this Lenten season where we're prepping our hearts for that resurrection, Easter. Now, in, in one sense, every Sunday that we gather together is a resurrection Sunday. That's, this is why the church began worshiping together what we call the Lord's Day. Because he's a risen Savior. And this good news says, I believe it, Jesus. I can't fix myself. And I know that what you did on that cross for me was enough. And I believe you got to be prepared. you got to have those words. I say it Sunday by Sunday so that you hear it over and over and over again. So when that person comes to you and says, what's it about your life? Well, you might, you might start with your own story. I, I like to do that. I tell, you know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, you know. I, I didn't know much about Christianity, the faith. But I, I never really doubted there was a God. But I didn't know exactly who it was. And it wasn't until I was considering marrying my wife. And I was thinking, if I'm going to make vows to God, who is this God? And it, just, it just made me want to dig a little deeper. And then I came to this place where I understood Christ died for my sins. I mean, just, just make it simple. But you've got to be prepared. So, so how do you prepare yourself? You gather with those who can do it. People who are ahead of you in the faith. People who can teach you. This is why we urge you. As you consecrate yourself to the Lord to be a part of something smaller than just Sunday morning. What I say on Sunday morning, I hope inspires you and, and prompts you forward. But th where the real growth takes place is in those smaller groups. 
gather with others, be a part of a small group. If you, if you, you know, the, the, the various times that we have here are not available, talk to one of us. We, we'll, we'll start a new one. <laughs> you, just, you can just host, or, or we can meet with you one-on-one. But you got to prepare yourself. you got to be ready to do this. This is what, what, what Peter is telling us. Tell it often, tell it well. And then he says, but do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior may be ashamed because of their slander. You understand what he's saying? I'm not going to force it on anybody. I want to be willing to take the time. This is what I do with all of my neighbors. I know all of my neighbors by name, and I'm friends with them, and I continue to build friendships, and I'm not going to go to give it to them when they're not ready for it. (laughs) I want them to hear this, and, and... there are opportunities that I've had, many opportunities, to what we call planting seeds. And I want to know, are you ready for this? And when they're ready, I'm telling you, I'm just going to walk through the door and I'm going to give them Jesus. I gotta be, but I've got to be also respectful. It's not an argument I'm going to get into these people. Because that was my old mindset. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been there. Well, I've done the, the door-to-door where, where I just want to get into a debate with somebody. I think I'm smart because I can prove to them Jesus. And they would go, get out of my face. <laughs> because I've not shown respect to them. And, and I think because somebody you might even be dissing the gospel, that I feel like I've got to get angry with them. It's like, they don't know. I was there too. So I got to love people enough, genuinely love people. I got to value them with my words and with my actions, the way I speak to people, the way I, I, I respond to people. It's not just for us among ourselves. Of course it is. I mean, we need to love each other above all else, right? There's a special place for us loving the body of believers. But we're called to love all people. Thank you for asking, Adam. To, to value something means that, that I'm, I'm making it important. So, so um, I know that you love to, to, to crochet. That's something that you value. It's important to you. But we're called to value people, to make people important, to make people important. Thank you for asking that, Adam. Yeah. Well, the next several verses, uh, some of them, I, I'm, I'm going to go over it fairly quickly. Uh, and I do recognize that you know some of the passages, the part of, some of the verses I'm talking about are, are a little difficult to understand, and theologians have differed on their views for them. I'm just going to tell you what my understanding is here, and you can dig deeper, but I'm, I'm going to give you the bottom line with it, though. He says, for, for Christ also suffered once for sins, once for sins, so the one suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Who's put to death in the body, made alive by the Spirit. He's the first fruits. So we have the, the, in Christ, in his resurrection, the promise of our own resurrection. After being made alive, and this is, this is the part that's a little, again, not as clear as we would like it to be. But after being alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. But notice it says, after being made alive. So he's not talking about after the crucifixion and, you know, when he went to what's called the place of the dead or Hades. He says, after he was made alive. And and so evidently, in terms of just the the timing there, there is described throughout even the Old Testament, this a, a place in the heavenlies in which evil spirits, demonic spirits are imprisoned until the last days. 
And so he proclaims his defeat of them by his resurrection. So essentially what it's really saying is that for you and me, in this time where we're dealing with all kinds of uh, events and situations that would want to steal our hope, that we have victory. That Christ, our Savior, is superior to every power. And, and so we don't need to fear even the evil spirits, the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world. We have authority over them. And so we don't need to fear. Fear ought not be part of the Christian countenance, that we don't fear. He says in this water, he says, in a few people, 18 all were saved through water. They saved because in the building of the ark, the ark actually was what saved them. But it says now this water symbolizes baptism that also saves you. And just so you don't get confused and think, oh, I need to get baptized so I can get saved. He explains, no, it's not the removal of dirt from the body. It's not the, the, the washing of the water. That's a symbol. It is the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. This is what saved us. When before the Lord, we say, my Lord, search me out because we can't hide anything from him. And we say, God, no, I want you to be Lord. And I want you to be Lord to the place that you are indeed my everything. That I, I live and breathe you, Lord. Fill me with so much hope that I, I can't contain it. And when somebody says to me, why do you have so much hope? I can tell you why. I don't keep it to myself. I wonder if there's somebody here today. He's never really made the decision to say, I follow you, Jesus. Let, let me say to you, you don't have to understand it all. The Christian life is a, a journey. What you do need to know is that Christ suffered once for sin. Why did he suffer? Because he doesn't want you to. He took that on himself. And in taking that on himself, he's saying he suffered for sins, he says, once, once for all. For everyone who would come to him. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He knows it. Yeah. Amen. High five. We want to plan for baptisms right now. And I wonder if you're here today, if you never really said, yeah, I belong to Jesus. Maybe you've been drawn and you're right at that place, but maybe you've never stepped into the waters of baptism. I remember my baptism. I got saved April 24th, 1988. It was a week later. I can't even do the math. It's 7 plus 24. But that's when I was baptized. I remember it like it was yesterday because there's something very powerful about that declaration. Now remember, it's not the removal of dirt from your body. It's the pledge of a good conscience towards God. But this symbol is powerful. It's saying to the world, I belong to you. The way I describe it so often is like putting a ring on my finger. Whether or not I wear a ring on my finger doesn't take away from the fact that I'm married to this beautiful woman. I'm married to her. But the ring is that symbol that says I belong to another. And baptism is that symbol that says... I belong to another. I belong to Jesus. So if you've not been baptized, put that on your communication card. Let us know today. 
If you have more questions on what it means to be saved, join us for the luncheon, will you? Or, or, or go through our growth track. Can we start the growth track just by talking about what it means to follow Jesus? So sign up for that too. Or talk to us today. But don't leave without really pressing into saying, what does it mean to make Jesus my Lord? And church, every one of us, I say, let's seek Jesus. Let's make him our everything that we would be so filled with this hope that we cannot contain it. We're ready to share it with gentleness and with respect. Prayer team, if you could come forward. If you are ready to say yes to Jesus, please take advantage of this time. Let someone know. Even if you even have questions, we, we, you know, again, my story is that I had questions. I appreciated those who met me at my point of need. But don't leave without speaking to one of us. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so very much for being the one who suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. I thank you, Lord, that with that has come so much blessing, including this living hope. God, I pray for each of my brothers and sisters that we would indeed revere you as our Lord. I pray for each one of us that you'd give us opportunity to live in such a way that our friends who don't know you yet would say, why? Why do you have such hope? And that we'd be ready have a ready answer to say, this is why. Because Christ died for my sins. And I know that I am now his beloved. Give us that attitude of respect and gentleness, which comes from the fruit of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.